Hi, I'm Pastor Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series, where we interview pastors from across the Living Faith Fellowship and professors from our Bible Institute on a range of subjects. Uh, sometimes we're talking about missions, and sometimes we're talking about ministry life, and uh, other times we're just talking about what the Word of God says. We're talking about theology. Now, we are starting a new series today with Pastor Alan Shelby of Harvest Baptist Church in Blue Springs, Missouri. We're having a conversation about charismatic theology. And in this first of three episodes, we're going to be discussing really where did charismatic theology come from, um, what, where was its inception, and uh, the areas in which uh, that particular type of thinking is heretical. And so uh, Pastor Alan Shelby is the perfect guest for this. And so I want to thank him and thank you for being with us, Pastor Alan. Yeah, thank you. I don't, I don't know you. about that, but I would like to be the superscript and not the postscript. <laughs> so, you know, hey, the man. postscript is at the end of the epistles, but a lot of the Psalms have a superscript. And That's I, I kind of want to be that because I want to tell people where to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, I, we appreciate the fact that you want to be the superscript, and as much as you want to be the superscript, uh, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome to be. In fact, you just finished up with with uh, teaching manuscript evidence in the Bible Institute this morning, first session, yeah. And uh, which would be part of our superscript, is the way I would see it. Yes, and yeah, because it tells you got to know where you're going. Got to yeah. know where you're going, uh -huh. and so um, and so you're taking your the rest of your afternoon to hang out with us and, and to do this interview. So I'm really thankful yeah, for that. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, we're blessed by that. So I want to start by just briefly asking, what is it about charismatic theology that maybe would be distinguishable or distinct from the way that we believe? So if we were to define um, the theology based on their soteriology or their eschatology or their view on the Holy Spirit, could you briefly just give us a synopsis of what would be the most obvious distinctions that we could find. So, so I would say, uh, let me just break it out in broad categories, maybe because, um, like I like I said when we're talking about manuscript evidence, just coming up from there, our problem is we get we we look at the twigs and the leaves, and then get lost. Wonder why we get lost in the forest, mm -hmm. and. So certainly we could interact with details of any given group's aspect of charismatic or Pentecostal theology. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of the leaves and the twigs. And in that spirit of wanting to be the superscript so we can know where we are going. Uh, right. If I break it into broad categories and I start with salvation, here's, here's the way I think I would describe it from my, my observation experience. Back when uh, we worked with international students mm -hmm. at UMKC and, you know, did all sorts of things with them, one thing that when we had a moment to talk to them at their orientation at uh, UMKC mm -hmm. was even to say to them, you know, you, you believe you have come to the premier Christian nation on earth, but you're, you are going to observe three types of Christianity. Mm which I divided this way, liturgical, Pentecostal, and evangelical. Mm -hmm. And in liturgical Christianity, there, are, there is a priest with ceremonies and sacraments, and they would say God mediates his grace through the church and that priesthood and that system. Mm -hmm. In evangelical Christianity, that means that, that 
we say that you must be born again. And you'll notice in our churches, the pulpit is at the center. Most of the service is given over to exposition of the word because right. what we believe the, the Bible teaches. God mediates his grace to you in response to your faith in what he has said, mm -hmm. particularly about Jesus. But the third category is Pentecostal. And in, or we would, for our purposes here, we would say charismatic. Right. And I would, you know, try and prepare them in advance. You go to a church like that, you will see people slain in the spirit. Don't be scared. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not really dead. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear people speaking in tongues. And you will typically, like with uh, Todd White or others, see one leg grow longer than the other. <laughs> That's why is that? St That's always a story. Everyone's got the leg growing story. In the because program. it's a magician's trick. Yeah, yeah. And and it's easy to do. It is. So it's easy to fool people. Um, so what I would say, let's, breaking out the doctrine of salvation, they are saying, they are communicating, God mediates his grace through your experience. Mm -hmm. And that experience may be you speak in tongues. These other things you see or events that happen. So, so it is evangelical to the degree that they might preach the gospel, right. probably more so in Pentecostal churches, less so in charismatic right. movement. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is um, the, the, the soteriology, the doctrine of how you would get saved is defective in the same way that many of the American cults are defective in theirs. They may even say Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but that is not enough. Mm -hmm. And at the point at which you do all you can do, God's grace adds what you're missing. Right. And I think I think that could be say many in the charismatic movement. I, I think the idea is God is mediating his grace through experience that you have. Mm -hmm. Which we'll get into when we, we talk more about tongues. Because yeah especially with tongue speaking that idea is propagated yes. and as a second blessing and mm -hmm. more or less required yeah right. and uh, then as to the as to the godhead <clears throat> the um, charismatic you know movement you know there's nothing new really under the sun it only, it only seems new to us because mm -hmm. it happens in our lifetime right and so we think it's a new thing but the Modern charismatic movement preserves, with regard to the doctrine of God himself, the Godhead, Sabellianism. So Sibelius was a, was a bishop in the church at Rome, and this is 250 A.D., okay. 260 A.D. Okay. And he gets some ideas from some other guys in other parts of the empire, maybe 10 years prior. But by 260 in Rome, he, he is teaching the idea that there's not a trinity. There are not within the nature of God, there's not three persons. Mm -hmm. But there's one God and three modes. So this is sometimes called modalism. Or is this... a uh like oneness theology? Yes, like that, exactly. And, that okay. is now T.D. Jakes, I think latest might might say that he is orthodox on the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. But certainly he came out of that type of 
oneness Pentecostalism. Okay. How does uh, that manifest itself? Well, so it manifests it itself in that you had, so God was the Father in the Old Testament, and Jesus was God in the, New, in, in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit is God now, and that mm-hmm. is the mode. And so it's not three persons within the nature of the one God. It is the one God manifesting himself in different modes. Yeah, it's like what hat he put on. Or what character yeah. he has in, in any given age. How he's going to show, manifest himself. So so the Holy Spirit then for them becomes God kind of to the exclusively in, in a sense in terms of your interaction okay. in this period of time. And it's just kind of a strange, a non-Trinitarian view right. um, of who God is. And so with, you know, with the Godhead, they go with that. Um, you know, I think as to uh, as to gifts, they would say you need a second blessing. Many of them, mm-hmm. both Pentecostal and charismatic. So when you get baptized in water, you should come out speaking in tongues. If you don't come out speaking in tongues, well, maybe we maybe we need to put you back right. in again. We didn't dunk right. Maybe. Well, let's do this as many times <laughs> as this takes. And um, and you've got to come out uttering some nonsense syllables that confirm to them that you now have the gift of the Holy Spirit because it is a second blessing beyond being born again. And a, and a sign gift, if you will. So in other words, they're not focused on the the, the, the movement of the, of the gospel moving forward through gifts. It's more or less just, are you or are you not saved? Show us the sign. Yes, and it's very much woven into their particular brand of psychotherapy, I think I would say. Mm-hmm. So if you're having a problem, personally, the answer is speak in tongues. So you've got, you've got to continually cultivate the speaking right. in tongues thing. Right. And then that, that leads, then that, that somehow calls down what you need and so forth so it's and it brings you into like a higher spiritual plane of some sort for doing that yes so it's so so in that case it's not only um a little bit off kilter with regard to salvation but also with regard to sanctification Mm -hmm. because sanctif you being sanctified true spirituality is related back to these experiences Mm -hmm. versus the word so god continues to mediate his grace not just through the finished work of christ and your faith in that but through you um having these experiences and doing these things and so as to eschatology, you know, another another area there, mostly like us in that, um, but everybody has to have their own gimmick, and yeah. you know, so there are variations. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll uncover more of that as we go. And um, but I do want to maybe start with just historically, um, just this idea of charismatic theology. Um, obviously begins with their perspective on the Bible. And so maybe we can just talk briefly about um, the beginnings of of the sign gifts and the, the way they see that, their perspective on that, and then how it transpired and manifests itself over the last uh, 150 years in America. We can get there. So maybe start maybe start with explaining yeah. to us why and where. So we have, you know, we have our class on manuscript evidence, mm-hmm. which really I will say is a course on biblical authority. 
And that's kind of distinguishes us as a fellowship of churches that distinguishes our institute as a school for training leaders in ministry Mm -hmm. is the idea of biblical authority. Because since we understand biblical authority, then we know that the Bible is going to define things for us. It defines history. It tells us God's purpose in the present. Mm -hmm. And then it also can show us what's going to happen in the future. Right. Because that's the Bible's like God is, past, present, future all Mm -hmm. at once. So if I were thinking in terms of charismatic theology, if I were thinking about charismatics, well, where do they start? I'd say let's go to Acts chapter 8. Okay. So I'd take it all the way back. Acts chapters 1 to 4 is the Big Bang Mm -hmm. of the church. Mm -hmm. So... Some evangelicals would say Acts chapter 2 is the birth. I I think the conception was like back in Matthew 10, and Jesus calls out the 12 because that's what ecclesia is, and it is some way in effect in chapter 16, chapter 18. It is fully developed in Ephesians. Acts chapter 2 is where it's empowered. And so in chapters 1 to 4 of Acts, if you just go through and read those chapters real quick, you you see what God did to get the thing going. It's the big bang of Christianity. And then after that point and after a certain number of rejections by the religious rulers in Jerusalem, well, now things start to change. Now there's persecution. Now an, an apostle is killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Peter was let out of prison, uh, but now um, J- James is slain. Yeah. So what, what's, God, what's going on here? So it wasn't always and forever the way it was in those first four chapters. Mm-hmm. Pentecostalism and charism- charismatics for their theology start and stay in chapter 2. Yep. So that much is unbiblical to begin with in yeah. that they don't move on. Right. When I find them in the Bible, I'm going to say it is here in chapter 8. Okay. So in, in um, Acts chapter 8, verse 18. Uh, I see where you're going. This is good. Acts chapter 8, verse 18. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, God's doing a thing, and he did that not just in Jerusalem, but he starts doing it in Samaria and in other places because, and this will play into our discussion of tongues later, but God is doing in every synagogue of the empire what he needs to do to confirm to them that what the apostles is saying is scripture. Right. What the what the the, the rules have now changed. Yeah. They're the, All they're that the prophets pointed to has now been culminated in Christ. Yeah. So that did happen, and uh, there were, you know, through the apostles laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost was given. Simon offered them money, saying, "Give me also this power." that in whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, now this, this is, sounds harsh, but this is the Bible's first response to the, to the charismatic movement. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, thy money perish with thee, 
because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Mm-hmm. But hold it, what is taught by every preacher in the word of faith movement? I mean, all of the one, I don't spend that much time on them, yeah. I'll have to admit. It's hard to stay up on all that. But, but any time I have listened for any length of time to the Kenneths, mm-hmm. Hagen or Copeland, to, mm-hmm. uh, to Hinn, Benny Hinn, to um, Todd White or any of the others, right. um, Creflo Dollar, how, how yeah. appropriate is I that know. name? That name. That is exactly what they say. Yeah. Blessing is purchased with your gift of money to me. You sow the seed. You make that vow. It may be $500 vow. It may, whatever, whatever in that given program at that right. particular time. Uh, but that is exactly what they say. And, mm-hmm. and Peter says, you know, you, your money perish with you because you thought that. Right. Um, thou- and, and, and we're going to cover that. I'd like to cover, especially the aspect of that, where it's what he wants is their apostleship. He, he wants the, the ability to lay hands and to, to execute the signs that were reserved for the apostles. Um, and he wants the authority that comes with that. And, and in today's day and age, you can actually purchase a certification for apostleship. Yes, you can. Yeah, that's on- online. Mm-hmm. You can get online and you can do that. You can be a congregational apostle or depending on what you're willing to give, I think, uh, the higher the certification is. But uh, I, I'm hoping at least by the third episode, we're uncovering yeah. this issue of yeah, apostleship. Yeah, because I would... And, and, I, and that is so much, what is happening here is so much like today. Mm-hmm. Because what they are offering is not apostleship in the biblical sense that um, uh, they're not wanting the suffering of an apostle. No. It's not that. No, certainly not. Yeah, it's not even the confirmation of what is, what is actually scripture of an apostle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is strictly this one thing yeah. of a way to manifest a supernatural act which becomes a money maker. Simon is not offering Peter money without the idea in his mind that I will make money off of this. Mm -hmm. You tell me how much you want. I'll give it because I know once I've got that ability of an apostle. He's purchasing a market share. He's purchasing a market share, yes. He he wants to be part of the channel. Mm -hmm. Thou hast neither, verse 21, neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the goal of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. All right, so if we want to... uh, psychoanalyze the situation, then I think for many of the charismatic leaders, it might be uh, the same way as for some of the event, current evangelical leaders, they're recovering fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. And they're in the in the goal of bitterness over, you know, how daddy raised them or whatever. And therefore, right. yeah. they're coming out with these different ideas. Uh, then answered Simon and said, pray, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me which is exactly what they do. Simon says, 
okay, you just told me it's my responsibility to repent. Well, I'm not quite willing to go there. But mm. you, you pray for me yeah. that God somehow short circuits the consequence. He deflects. Yeah. And so I think I think that is the beginning of the charismatic movement. That's really interesting. Now, so with that in mind, how did the spirit of Simon the Sorcerer uh, progress throughout church history? I mean, um, there have been moments and blips across the church history radar of these of this form of thinking popping up. What other times and places maybe that, that come to mind um, do we see this happening in church history? Well, so to to frame the answer to that question, <clears throat> the basic insider principle I think I would lay out is that every cultural movement in society has its corresponding Christian counterfeit. Okay. Yeah. And I believe that's happened throughout history. It just so happens that the cultural moment in America in the 60s and the 70s and the sexual revolution and the drug revolution and all of that, it had yeah. its corresponding charismatic movement. Mm -hmm. So you can trace the roots back to the 1900s, you know, as you can with many things that are predominant heresies today. Yeah. You, you can trace it back 1800s, 1900s, where the great experiment in democracy, that means separation of church and state, so much so that means you can start your own religion. Right. You you can sell your own apostleship. Sure. So, um, however, with the cultural movement in society in the 60s and 70s, the corresponding Christian counterfeit was the charismatic movement of what we, I think, really see at this moment in Christianity in America. Mm -hmm. But that is no different than the Montanists of early church history, followers of Montanus, who um, said the same things. Those gifts in Acts chapter 2, that what started there, we are staying there. And it doesn't matter that what we do really isn't the same thing they did. But we'll take what we can do redefine it as what was going on right and and we will keep it going so there are those movements in church history that you can as you go back and read you know Schaff's monumental work on church history or mm -hmm. whatever you can you can find those groups from the same time as the cultural movement in society to create the imperial church so yeah. from the 250s and 300s. Once the empire had done, done its dirtiest to try and kill all its converts, mm -hmm. then with the ones that are left, they either they can compromise with the emperor and here's the imperial church. Right. We will get the pagans in by adopting their system in our construct. Right. And a hybrid of sorts. Likewise, so that's a cultural movement in society, but also there were those groups in history that say the same things as the modern Pentecostal charismatic movement t 
today mm -hmm. in the same way that the Jehovah's Witnesses say the same thing as the Arians of that day. Mm -hmm. um, and so with each cultural movement in society, there is a corresponding Christian counterfeit and that we need to be aware of that because if we don't have our glasses on by way of the Word of God defining what is happening, then we get sucked in. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And so what we have here provides us with a framework for, for where our conversation is going. So um, in terms of the seed of the American brand of charismatic theology, that form of mysticism as it, as it rose up in America, in 1901, on New Year's Day, um, we had a group of Christians gathered in Topeka, Kansas. Um, some would describe it as like an all-night prayer session that culminated in um, what they referred to as speaking in tongues. And um, the history books, uh, as, they, as they convey it, say that they spoke in languages um, which we would call xenoglossia, I believe is the, is the term, where you supernaturally uh, gain the ability to speak in another language the way we see in Acts chapter 2. Um, they suppose that they had gained that gifting. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And then maybe the, the events that transpired after that, that that led us to believe that that was actually a, a falsification um, and then how that progressed up into the 1960s, what you're talking about. How did, how did that transformation take place? Yeah. Well, so, okay, the, the, uh, the genesis of it, the con conception of it. You know, Paul warns us against doctrines of demons in the mm -hmm. last days. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to have doctrines of demons, you have to start with demonology. Mm -hmm. You have to start with a demon to get doctrines of demons now. Mm -hmm. Here, here is what I've observed in many of, many of the ancient and accepted religions of the world. So let me pick out Hinduism. Okay. Now, I'm not dogging on them culturally. I am critiquing them biblically. In Hindu festivals that, that I have been able to encounter by way of working with Hindu students. Mm -hmm. And I will say the same thing with uh, Sufi uh, folk Islam, yep. things like that. They will all get together for their festival, and they will eat and drink into the night, and they will dance and they will do their thing, whether it's the Hindu or it is a Muslim whirling dervish. Mm -hmm. Now, if you or I also stay up all night doing whatever things, lack of sleep, exhausting ourselves, we'll start speaking in tongues. I think so. I'm pretty sure we will. Yeah. So what you're saying is that anybody who is looking for and cultivating um, confusion will find it. Right. So that is the psychological aspect. Okay. Now, the, the reason that the devil tags counterfeit Christianity onto cultural 
movements in society is because that is what enables uh, the deception is the fact that society is always already moving in this change, in this progressive pattern, in this, you know, whether it's sexual revolution or drugs or, right. or, or as in the 1900s with this whole idea of a new world order and um, everything going on in America that time and we've now expanded westward into the frontier and we are the beginnings of globalism maybe. uh yeah, yeah and all of that and so so to to ha to take that moment of societal evolution mm -hmm. culturally and tag on to it a counterfeit sucks up all the people who may be christians but gets them into something so you have a psychological component and then the devils take advantage of that mm -hmm. because from that point, if that's what you're doing, and I think we don't always recognize this, but I do think that those Hindu festivals in doing that, I think they call down demonic involvement. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everybody who does yoga has that type of contact, but I do think Modi does, the uh, prime minister of India, mm -hmm. and his emphasis on on um, meditation and so forth. Yeah. No, I I know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's calling, but maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. I know what he's doing. He's calling down demonic involvement. Yeah. Right. The uh, Dalai Lama in Tibetan Buddhism. You don't read this in his books, but study his life. And he has a channeler who travels with him everywhere he goes. Mm -hmm. And they set out their, it's not a pentagram in their case, I think it's a nine-sided nine, uh, type of thing. And they get demon-possessed. They, they call down demonic involvement. They wouldn't right. say that's what it is, but that's what it is. Mm -hmm. so, so once you have Christians... Satan piggybacking off a cultural moment in society and people getting together for whatever reason. Well, of course, if you're going to stoke it with this psychological on-ramp, then you've opened yourself up mm. to a demonic idea being planted. And it's like, oh, why didn't we ever see this before? Yeah. Well, I'm the first one to see this. Yeah. we got a new thing going here. Right. This it's is, like spiritual this innovation. This is a new thing. Yeah. Now, so what... And this is, I think, very important. What the charismatic movement has completely in common with the cult groups today, American cult groups, is the idea that Christianity was lost very early on. Mm -hmm. In the case of the cults, whether it's Joseph Smith or whoever, it was only recently rediscovered by their founder. Right. Charismatics would say the same thing. Early Christianity was law. It was true Christianity was lost early on in those first four chapters. Mm -hmm. And we've now rediscovered what Christianity should have been all along. Mm -hmm. And now it's a new wave, and it's a second wave, or it's another wave, and it's right. a new movement. Right. And it, and it can look just like the Beatles. You don't you don't remember the Beatles? No, but my mom is a big Beatles fan. Here's a little Beatleology. Okay, yeah, I, I, which I'm very up on my Beatles, by the way. Okay, so well then is, you will acknowledge that when the Beatles came out of Liverpool, yes, they wore Edwardian suits. Yeah, the the black ones, 
that buttoned all the way. And yeah. and very the type of songs they did at that time. Were, well, who wouldn't want to sing that? Yeah, they were tame. Well, yeah, they were. I mean, they were compared. Com- yeah, they were they were more acceptable pop. But what maybe. happened with Rubber Soul and then Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? Right. Um, drug fueled creativity. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's that's a little different, and you get into revolution and you know. Mm-hmm. Ah, ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, however, but they got their millions and millions of fans in Edwardian suits who walked that path with them yeah, all the way through. Right. So when we start in the 1900s and um, some of the other groups after that, so um, Charles Parham and the Apostolic Faith Movement, 1901, and Mm -hmm. Topeka Experience, New Year's Day, 1901, uh, Agnes Osmond, um, 1906, William J. Seymour, you know, on down, Azusa Street Revival, right. on down to uh, 1959, this and that. Okay, so it starts one way. And then by the 60s, with that yeah. cultural societal right. movement, you now have a new thought. So so now you're into Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> that's not Dr. Pepper. Yeah. That is Sergeant Pepper. That's yeah. totally different. Yeah, that's LSD. And now I'm Sergeant is. Pepper and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, who who was the uh, the uh, demonic um, English guy that you know they they had pictures of everybody. Oh man, what, wait. What you mean? All the pictures of everybody. Oh, on 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 the cover, Sergeant, Sergeant yeah, Pepper. Yeah, on the cover. Oh, the artist yeah. that created yeah, the yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forget the name name of the guy who was a. He wrote he wrote about being a drug fiend, uh, you know. And this was early in the nineteen hundred sure. middle nineteen hundred. Uh, he made the cover first half. It was and he was on the cover yeah, because sure. they're they're fo- they're following him. Yeah. They're putting to death something else. They're the ones who are still alive mm-hmm. and moving on, right? Including, uh, including these individuals. So now, same thing has happened with the modern charismatic movement. It started one way. We're we're into something totally different right. now with a lot of other doctrines of demons that were inserted into the psychological moment. And it's really interesting that you're saying this because when you talk about Parham in 1901, uh, you know. They thought that they were, from their perspective, going back, that they were going back to Acts chapter 2, that they had rediscovered what was lost. They defined that in a very specific way. I mean, Agnes Osmond was doing what she thought was writing in Chinese and then come to find out um, that was not actually correct. They were sending people to places all over the world on missions trips, only to when they got to where they were going on the, on the foreign field, they just found out that they actually couldn't speak in the languages that they huh. thought that they were, you know, big surprise there. But it's really interesting that Parham's critique of the Azusa Street movement in 1906 was that it was too wild, you know, because people were falling out and they were doing things that he was unfamiliar with, but he had kind of, in many regards, unlocked the experiential door, just like you're saying, left room for the next cultural step. And so, you know, while he was Abra in his own way, he Progress. He he left space for the progression yeah. of of greater and greater madness. So so now let me end with this idea. Okay. So okay, 1901. 
um, Parham, 1901. Topeka Experience, New Year's Day, 1901. Agnes Osmond, 1901. I know you're going to, you know, you're going to thank me crazy for drawing this connection, but um, maybe I'm crazy. That's okay. Maybe Let's maybe entertain I'm crazy. that. What else happened in 1901? 1881, Revised Standard Version. A 20-year copyright kept the Americans 20 years behind Europe, as we typically are in anything. Mm -hmm. 1901, the American Standard Version. Why do you think that something's missing? Hmm. In, in 1901, why, why do you have to believe that, well, we're missing something that we need to go back here to Acts chapter 2 and find. It is only if you think the Bible is insufficient and you have had a train wreck with your doctrine of biblical authority. Mm. Because if the Bible is sufficient, then you're not discontent. And you don't feel like you've got to go, oh, there's something I'm missing here. Wait, what is it? Let's Let's spend all night in prayer. Let's be... Dancing and doing whatever we're doing, dancing and singing and and, and clapping and let, let's do let's wear ourselves out mm -hmm. until something happens. Right. You do that because you are dissatisfied with the word of God alone, mm -hmm. and you are dissatisfied with the word of God alone because you no longer have, you no longer know that you have and believe that you have God's word that is sufficient. Hmm. Uh, so I think. 1901 is uh, is more than coincidence right. in terms of what was happening in Christianity, what was happening biblically, and and now what is happening, what's happening in society now, what's happening in spirituality uh, with the charismatic movement. Very very interesting, and we are going to continue this conversation, Pastor. And uh, in closing, uh, I know that we've already kind of undone or unfurled some of this. Uh, but if you can summarize and explain why why is this why are we having this conversation why is this theological bent called charismatic theology dangerous and worthy of addressing why can't we just let that exist and without right. being addressed so I think the most important reason is because we are similarly in a time of a cultural movement in society and that's fueled by politics that's fueled by pandemic that is fueled by whatever the financial situation is going to be going forward that is mm -hmm. fueled by a lot of things right now over the last few years um, more so than maybe at any time in our lives I mean mm -hmm. I was a little too young to get involved in the sex drug and rock and roll mm -hmm. beginning really I mean I was you know, so it was a little bit before me. Yeah. But we see that happening now in society. There is a cultural shift in society. That means in Christianity, if we don't have our Bible nailed down, we are going to be susceptible to the same counterfeit that Satan piggybacks off of cultural movements. Mm -hmm. And it, within evangelicaldom, the thing that will further deteriorate 
both evangelicaldom and Baptisthood and make us more Laodicean, I will say is going to be acceptance of this idea. Mm -hmm. What we have is not enough. It's not sufficient. I'm craving an experience. And that's woven, that fault is woven into the fabric of our country from its founding, I think. Declaration of Independence. What is the purpose for America? The purpose of your liberty is so you can have freedom to pursue happiness. Mm-hmm. True apostleship would say the purpose for your liberty is to pursue suffering mm-hmm. in service. Yeah, We won't accept that. We won't accept suffering, depression, um, hardness, you know, enduring hardness. We will not accept that. So we seek anything else because we think what we have is not sufficient because I'm suffering. And so we are susceptible to these other things. And I think with the charismatic movement, like with other things in other ancient religions, it brings a cathartic moment. Or even within modern psychotherapy, it brings a cathartic moment. You feel good for a while, and it's like a sugar high. Mm-hmm. And then you got to go back and get more sugar. Wow. Well, that's a great explanation. And we will continue to investigate that and break that down in the coming episodes. So thank you, Pastor, for being with me. And uh, we want to thank you as well for joining us for this episode of The Postscript. And we hope that it was beneficial to you. I hope that this was a good introduction to this subject matter. Very sobering. Um, but, but we hope that you'll join us for the next couple episodes as we talk about giftings in particular. We're going to talk about the prosperity gospel and it's and it's the dangers associated with that. But also we're going to talk about tongues some more, uh, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy, things that are associated with apostolic gifting and why the charismatic theology gets that wrong. So we're going to go and, and we're going to look at that. So we hope that you'll join us for that. If any of this, uh, you know, stirred you up and you thought, you know what, I need to learn my Bible more. I mean, uh, I, I'm hearing what they're talking about and these are things that are slightly new to me. Uh, it's clear that these the, 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 the Bible to me is the authority and I want to learn more about it. Please visit LFBI.org and check out our Bible Institute and learn more about uh, our philosophy of teaching and, and, and how we use the Word of God as the authority for, for our lives, for the way that we think and the way that we do ministry. Uh, we're not chasing after an experience. We are just as Pastor Alan Shelby uh, looking to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the gospel and the mission. And, and if that interests you, if that intrigues you, we ask that you would go to lfbi.org and check that out. Again, we thank you and we hope to see you next Monday as uh, 